Welcome to another episode of Culinary School Stories, the weekly podcast that is dedicated to sharing the stories of people around the globe whose lives have been influenced, impacted, touched, and or enriched, for good or for bad, from their culinary school experience. Hi, my name is Colin Roach and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us today. You are an important part of this show where we ask the question, what's your culinary school story? So now, without any further delay, let's meet today's guest. Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening today to another episode of the Culinary School Stories podcast, a proud member of the Food Media Network. My guest today is Ben Shelton, and Ben, I want to start right off by saying welcome and thank you for joining us today and sharing your culinary school story. I'm so glad to be here. Awesome. So I know we got a lot to talk about, but let's start at the beginning. Where did your love of food and cooking come from, and how did that materialize into going to culinary school? Well, I'd have to say it all started at home um, when I was in high school, um, and I stayed at home by myself during the summers. Uh, obviously, I had to cook for myself and prepare things. So it really started there, you know, doing really simple things in the kitchen. Surprisingly enough, my mother and father didn't mind me cooking too much at home by myself. They thought I was responsible enough to do it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just started tinkering in the kitchen and making little things and watching TV. And it just really started from there. Great. And then at some point along the way, you said, I could make a career out of this. I should probably go to culinary school. Did you already go into the industry first and then culinary school? No, I mean, it was a good thing and a bad thing at the time when I was in high school and that that time of my life was starting when I needed to make a decision on what I wanted to do. It was also the same time that the Food Network was kind of in its prime. It was starting to go up, you know. early 2000s, you had a lot of those celebrity chefs on TV. Sure. You know, I always reference Emerald Lagasse because that was kind of the, the show we all watched at night. And, you know, it was like, oh, I could be a chef. Yeah, <laughs> I could do that. That's what I should do. I don't know what I want to do with, my, with the rest of my life, so maybe I'll go cook. And it just I went down that rabbit hole, so to speak, and it's – where I've been stuck ever since. <laughs> yeah, the Food Network did a, a, a lot for our industry back then. You know, it really got... Enrollment definitely went up. <laughs> <laughs> now, did you pick Johnson & Wales because Emerald Lagasse went there? Or how did you pick Johnson & Wales? I was fortunate enough when I was in high school to have uh, a great food and nutrition teacher, Miss um, Smith, who... Uh, had a prior student who also went to Johnson and Wales and she really talked it up because at the time I was kind of leaning between the two Johnson and Wales, the CIA, obviously Johnson and Wales and Charleston at the time was closer. So that, you know, that's kind of where I, I, I leaned towards. So, I mean, that was my push to go to Johnson and Wales. Unfortunately that campus closed right as the Charlotte campus opened. So that's why I actually went to the Charlotte campus, not the Charleston campus. 2004. So the campus was pretty brand new at that point, right? Oh, it was. Yeah, everything was new. We were the first ones <laughs> to cook in there. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So did you tour any other schools or you said, you know, because this is in the, the home area, I'm just going to go to this this campus? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if they still do it or not at Johnson & Wales, but they used to have the career exploration mm-hmm. 
for high school students during the summer. And you could go down there. It was like a long weekend. And you had one for culinary. They had one for pastry. They had one for hospitality. So I had did that when I was a, a junior and a senior in high school. So my junior year, I went to the Charleston campus for pastry. And then my senior year of high school, I went down um, to the Charlotte campus and did the culinary one. Right. So you got to experience a little bit of the school in advance to kind of, you know, test the waters and make sure this was something. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's great. So if any listeners are out there, they're thinking about going to culinary school, one of those career explorations or one of those summer type programs where they can go and just, you know, be a, a, a potential student for a little while just to kind of find out what it's like, maybe an option. Absolutely. Okay. So then you enrolled. Now take us to day one. What's going on? You getting a uniform, you getting some knife kits or you, you know, you, you, Oh yeah. I mean, you had that big, like, like herd assembly, you know, no one really knew where they were going, but there was people <laughs> everywhere that was like directing, you know, and, and if you've ever been to the Charlotte campus, you know, it's kind of almost like separate, separate blocks there in the downtown area. So like we were, we were constantly crossing the street, go to the library, get our books, get our knife kit, go over here, get your uniform, you know, and they're like, Oh, next day you got to have all this ready. Make sure you press everything ready. And uh, yeah, it was a, it was a big to do. It was different. I don't want to like equate it to like the military, but it kind of felt like that where you were, <laughs> were shoveled in and you got to go. There's tons of people behind you and, you know, grab your stuff and go to the next station. Well, it's kind of like basic, basic training, right? Here's your uniform. Here's your tools so you don't get the haircut and uh, send yeah. you on your way. Yeah, it was it was a little nerve wracking, but it was fun. I remember the big thing was everybody was trying to figure out how they were going to hem their pants <laughs> for the next week. Because you get these checks, you know, they're about, I don't know, a foot too long because they're kind of one size fits all almost. And, you know, they're like, oh, you got to have your pants pressed and you got to have your, you know, your pants hemmed. And nobody knew how to sew. And it, uh, <laughs> it was an ordeal. That is true. They size you for the waist, but not the leg because everybody's so different. But then they give you 24 hours. You probably don't even know where a tailor is or would they even do it in 24 hours? Oh, I can imagine that whoever found one that was nearby, that poor person probably had 100 kids show up that weekend. <laughs> like, hey, I need my pants. <laughs> or if someone's listening right now that wants to go to culinary school and knows how to sew, bring your sewing machine and you'll make a mint. You could charge everybody 2 $3 and... <laughs> some good money there that weekend <laughs> <laughs> now i know some of the students that i've had in the past they come in they either go in the grocery store and get those velcro things that they can make their hem with a velcro or iron on yeah, ones iron yeah i've seen those and i even seen some in, in ingenious i guess students or not so much staple them <laughs> i mean if it's in a pinch i mean we all rolled them and ironed them and we we found a little sewing kit and we put a couple stitches on each side just to keep it up and a lot of stay flow we ironed them really good to, you know just to get us through that first week yeah now how was the lineup that first week were they just kind of overlooking that i mean they check your no no they drilled us really hard the that that weekend you know if someone hadn't already shaved they made sure they told you you know you need to make sure you can sh that you shave you know at the time you could have a mustache that was like the only facial hair that you could have, um, which I don't know if it's the same now. I mean, people wear beard guards and stuff. But when I was there, if you didn't have a doctor's note, you had to shave. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's all part of that. Sanitation. And, uh, you know, they, they really stressed the uniform. 
then it was really important, you know, ironing, you know, make sure your shoes are polished, you know, and for, for me and all the other guys and, and ladies that were there, we kind of almost treated it like a competition amongst ourselves, you know, who could come the sharpest. Wow. You know? That's a good way to do it. Yeah. So we, we, we would always brag about certain things. So, you know, that made it, you know, made it fun in, in a sense. So. So tell us about day one. You're nervous. You've got your hemmed pants, but you're there. You're meeting people for the first time. You met that first chef, first class. Were they mean? Were they nice? Uh, did they get you on board quickly? How did that go? I lucked out a little bit because my first trimester, which I don't know if it's trimesters or not. They just switched now, to semesters, but it was ter- you know terms, three terms. It was trimesters when I was there, but my first trimester was actually academics. Oh, so I had, you know, my math, my science, my English, you know, classes first, while a majority of my other friends were already in the lab, which I kind of, you know, it was twofold. I didn't get to do the fun stuff the first day, but I got to kind of hear other people's stories of what they got in trouble for or, you know, didn't like, you know, I, I almost was able to correct myself so that when I did get in the lab the first day. I was a little bit prepared, you know, I kind of knew what to expect because I heard my, my roommate talk about it because at the time my roommate, I think he did his labs first and then he did academics later. So that's great. Cause they could kind of blaze the trail first and, you know, learn it all. And then yeah, they come. make all the mistakes and then I don't make them. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, academics was hard too, though. I mean, you know, I'd never been in a college environment before. And at the time, you know, it was professional dress. So, I mean, every day you had, you know, a collared button-up shirt, had to wear a tie, you know, slacks, belt, dress shoes at the time. Um, I, I don't know if it's the same way still, but, you know, it was, you had to still be presentable. You had to wear your name tag. That was a big thing. And uh, yeah, it was still a little bit of an awakening, even in that sense, even though I wasn't in the kitchen, you know, right. being in that professional environment, almost like on the job and, and being scrutinized in that sense. It was uh, it was fun and it was interesting. Now a lot of people don't know about that. They think culinary school you just go and you cook and you make yourself some lunch and you get to eat and it's all fun. But this is you know it's a full degree. It's uh, university. So tell them maybe about something about the academic class. Were they challenging? Were they hard? Did you have a lot of work? I mean, how many people in a class? Give us a little feel of of that. Oh yeah, I mean it was uh, it was very challenging. I mean you were taking college level. English, math, science, biology. Um, I mean, there were certain elective classes, just like in college, that you could take. You know, I took religion, um, public speaking, leadership. These were all academic classes that you, you had to take. And they were, they were challenging. And you had to study. You had to do homework. You had to learn MLA format, which I don't know if that's what they still have yep. to work in now. MLA, um, MLA or APA. Yes, things you didn't really have to do too much in high school, maybe once or twice for a paper, maybe a senior year English, but you know, now you gotta do it every time you turn a paper in in college, you know. I mean it was it was challenging in the sense that even though I'm not that old, I like to think I'm only thirty-five, the technology's come so far over the last decade, you know, being able to print stuff then versus now, I mean, things like that, getting your paper ready, bound for for an English class or for a project in biology, those are all challenging things. Sure. You know? Yeah. 
and you know you didn't have mom or dad there pushing you to do it right you know over your shoulder making sure you're doing your work you're with your buddies after class and you've got to force yourself to get on the computer to make sure this gets done you know how was the dorm life you said you lived in the dorms the residences there i mean oh, the dorm, it was a blast you know i was a big i mean i was i you know i enjoyed being home i had a great home life you know um, but man, I was ready to be free. <laughs> I've always been a free spirit. So once the time came and my parents like dropped me off, you know, they're like, Hey, you want us to help you unpack or get settled in? I'm like, Nope, you know, we're good. I can do all this. <laughs> Bye. So it was, it was a, it was a blast to, to have that sense of freedom and to make my own decisions, whether they were good ones or bad ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They all, we all part of growing up, right? It's all part of growing up. That's right. <laughs> Now, tell me about the lab class. Did you have a favorite? Because did you start as culinary and then go to baking and pastry? Or did you go to baking and pastry all the way? I mean, how did that materialize? And why did you pick one major over the other? I kind of missed enrollment for pastry, oddly enough. It was, I guess they had already got such a large wait list for baking and pastry that I wasn't able to get in it because I wanted to do pastry first. Um, but I wasn't able to get in. So I went ahead and just enrolled for culinary because it was, I was kind of teetering both anyway. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. So when I was in high school, I had some cooking jobs. I never really did a lot of pastry other than what I did at home. So I did pay, uh, culinary first um, just to see, you know, because I had no real plan. I was just like, I'm going to go get it, get in the role, get in the system and get started. But uh, yeah, I did culinary first. And then later decided to do pastry and then food service management. But uh, I don't know. That's a really tough question. All the classes were, they were all awesome. They were all great classes. I don't think I really was in any lab that I didn't enjoy. Um, probably Garmage. Garmage was a great class. You know, you're really doing something that you may never get to do again out in the industry because it's so specialized and it's more of a, you know, a, an art craft mm -hmm. that's not really practiced today, but I enjoyed also like all the baking classes that were there, but probably Garmage, that was probably my favorite class. I had a great instructor. Yeah. You have a favorite instructor there? A couple of them? You want to give a shout out to anybody? Mark Allison, which he doesn't actually work at the uh, Johnson Wells anymore. Um, he was the dean also for culinary arts at, at the Charlotte campus for a while. He was one of my favorite instructors. Chef Fred Tease, my classical French cuisine instructor, uh, Paul Malcolm, who he was my coach for the competition team. Hmm. Chef Ellsworth, who was a classical French baking instructor. She's retired. But, and, you know, I, I had a great relationship, fortunately, with all of my instructors. I didn't, you know. What makes them good instructors? Because someone listening might be like, yeah, yeah. Was it just because they were nice? They were easy graders? Were they just talented? What makes a good instructor in your eyes? I think someone that you can relate to and talk to and feel comfortable talking to, but at the same time, really respect because they hold themselves in a, in a way, you know, I think it's kind of the whole package of you, you can talk the talk and you can walk the walk. And at the same time, you can sit down and talk to me after class and be a human being. You know, I think those are all like really important uh, aspects of an instructor at the end of the day. You know, you shouldn't be so afraid of me that you can't talk to me. Mm -hmm should still at the end of the day, you know, heed and 
respect my word when I give you advice. <laughs> <laughs> but you felt like they have your back. They're there to support you. They want you to succeed. Absolutely. Yeah. So you were there for a two-year associate, then another year for the baking and pastry, and then another two years for your bachelor's. Yeah, I did it in five. Yeah. So I, uh, I got my culinary degree in two years, and then I jumped in, did just straight labs for pastry because I had already had all my prerequisites from the academics. I did have to take one baking technology class that was like once a week. I don't know if they still offer it or not, but it was like a, almost like a science class that only the baking students took. Um, and then I did my internship over the summer so I didn't lose any ground and I could start right in the following year in my food service management. So tell me about culinary and baking and pastries. We kind of touched on this before when I asked you, and if someone is listening right now and they're on the fence, I mean, if they could do both, that would be best. But do you, do you see a difference between them, obviously, in the craft? There's a big difference between culinary students and, and pastry students. And I can clearly remember when I took my first baking class, Intro to Baking, I remember there was some resentment almost amongst culinary students that they didn't. They felt almost like, why do we have to learn how to bake? And it's like, you know, it, it's important to, to be an all-around good chef. You should know how to bake. And I think that's what, you know, that's why you take it in culinary school. But I feel like, you know, a lot of kids or, or students were like, you know, I'm going to be a chef. I'm going to hire a pastry chef. I'm never going to bake. Why do I need to learn how to do this? It's like they didn't want to do it. When really, I mean, you, you have to learn those skill sets to be a well-rounded chef. Because you never know, the pastry chef might call out tomorrow and you might be doing the dessert. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, you got to at least make a pie or make some bread. You got to be able to make some rolls, right? A cake, a pie, you know, a basic sauce or two. You never know. So um, it was at that point that I realized that there's more to it. And especially when I did the second baking and pastry class, advanced patisserie, you know, they were still kind of grumpy. Oh, why are we having to do pastry? But I I was over there really excelling, and that's when I like click. Like I need to be doing pastry for sure. So that's that really would push me to to take baking and pastry. Now, when you when you were with the baking and pastry students, that that was their declared major from the start. No culinary. Did you see a difference in the student? Oh yeah, I mean, it, for me it was easy. I was already the fish in water. I had I had two full years under my belt. I knew how the system worked. I went into the you know the first baking lab with all green students. And I mean, it was easy for me to excel because I knew everything and I've been doing it for two years. So it definitely made that transition super easy, you know, and it made, I I would say that I was able to get more out of the patient program because I had already did culinary. Sure. You have a unique perspective because you've done both. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't worried about the little things, and I was able maybe to get the bigger picture into grad. But what about the student? You said the culinary student had a, didn't really want to do any baking and pastry. What about the baking and pastry students? Did they have the same? Oh, yeah, they were the same way. No one wanted to do the culinary. <laughs> it, was, it was a very clear divide, you know, the, which I don't know if they still have them. You got, you know, the blue neckerchiefs and the green neckerchiefs. Yep. You know, that kind of that, that distinguished the two of us. And then we won't even talk about the ones that wore the red ones. <laughs> the maroon cranberry. <laughs> the <reality students. laughs> yeah, there was definitely a clear divide, you know. And uh, the only thing I can say to someone that's thinking about, you know, maybe being on the fence of doing both, you know, if you have the time and you can do it, you should, you know, 
learn and respect both crafts equally. Mm-hmm. You know, whether you become a pastry chef or you become a savory chef, you never know, you know, what you might be doing in the future. And in this current point in time, being very versatile, being that Swiss army knife in a kitchen is very, I don't want to say lucrative, but it is, it is valuable right now. You know? Yeah, you bring so much more to the table. Bring a whole lot more to the table. When the pastry chef comes upstairs and breaks down tenderloins, you know, it looks good. <laughs> <laughs> now, what about male and females? Traditionally, it's been more females in the baking and pastry and, and culinary was more males. But lately, we've seen a mix. But what was the, your experience with that? It, it was when I was in, in school, it was very... Uh, female driven there were a lot of girls i was like one of two males in my ba- first baking lab hmm. um but outside of the industry i mean not out of the industry but out of the classroom it kind of tips the other way once you actually get into your more higher end uh, heavy production uh, pastry shops or like casinos hotels i saw that it kind of tilted the other way you had a whole lot more men in the bake shop mm-hmm. uh, and i don't know i don't know why that is um but i was kind of expecting it to be more female driven once i got out into the industry but it was actually more male so that may change now you know maybe that was we i only saw that little glimpse of the time when i was in school so i don't know maybe it's like there'll be a transition and in 10 years it'll be more female driven as those people that i went to school with take on those new executive roles so now, when you went to culinary school, did you get any flack, any grief from people? Like, you don't need to go to culinary school. What are you doing, spending your money, waste your time? Or was it all supportive? Oh, for sure. I mean, um, when I'd say my first serious cooking job in high school, I worked at the Piedmont Club in Winston-Salem. And uh, I worked there for like a year and a half, my junior, my senior year of high school. And I did it because I wanted to get industry experience to get a taste for what it was like before I went to culinary school and wasted a whole bunch of money, possibly. Um, and I remember like right as I was getting ready to leave that spring, you know, and, and get ready to go to school, all, all the other line cooks and people that I worked with, they're like, oh, you don't really need to go to culinary school. You stay here like two more years and you'll be fine. You don't even need to do culinary school. You're just wasting your time. And uh, they just didn't want to have to replace the line cook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, they'll teach you everything you know. Yeah. Stay with me. Yeah, you take care. You'll be good. You don't have to go to culinary school. But, you know, they were really supportive in the end when it came down to it. They got me some little college goodie bags, um, you know, as like a going away little gift. It, it was it was a real nice experience. But uh, um, I probably caught more flat going from culinary to pastry from my, my buddies and friends because at the time all my buddies were culinary and you know they were either getting ready to go out in the industry or they were going to do their bachelors and I'm I'm getting ready to do pastry and basically start all over and they they, they gave me a you know a hard time and run for my money but uh, yeah, <laughs> it worked out now you did some comp- competitions in school too you had mentioned could you tell us about that and how important is that to someone going through school and getting that extracurricular how does that change you or better oh you? for sure i mean competitions are going to really kind of show your own flaws to yourself in a sense 
Um, it's things that you may not see on a day-to-day. When you really start competing and practicing and striving to make things perfect, in a sense, you're going to better yourself. When you add extra stress on yourself, you know, and, and, and challenge yourself mentally or physically, you know, you're going to get better. Um, I was fortunate enough. I did, I did the intercollegiate team, which is basically like the team, all the Johnson & Wales compete against one another once a year in baking and culinary. And uh, I did the pastry one for two years, the two years up. Uh, yeah. The, the year I was in the pastry program and then the, my first year of uh, food and beverage. And then my third year of food and beverage, I, uh, or my second, technically, there's so many years, it's hard to keep track of all of them. I did the <laughs> um, because I was also a TA fellow. When I was a TA and a fellow, I also competed ah. on the culinary Great. So it really it, it got you to learn speed. It got you to challenge yourself, push yourself out of the comfort zone. And also, you know, there was probably, you know, some some time there that you had to, you know, produce in. And so it taught you, you know, sense of. I, I got to see all the campuses. You know, we, we went to Denver. We went to Providence. It was, you know, because every year they'd host it at a different uh, Johnson Wales. So, I mean, it was a great opportunity to see the other campuses, meet other students, mm-hmm. compete. Oh yeah, I, I I I highly recommend competition work. Now, also, you, you I see that you're involved heavily with the American Culinary Federation, and maybe you could speak to, you know, certification and networking and professional organizations for someone that's getting into this industry. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, right now, especially somebody that's coming into the industry to get your student membership, um, and they also have like. Uh, not like a novice, but like someone that's just interested in it. You don't even have to be a professional at the time to be a a member of the ACF. Um, It's a great way to network. I mean, unfortunately right now with what's going on, you know, it's hard to network, you know, and it's hard to have meetings, but when this is all over with and we get beyond it, uh, it'll be a, a great way for students or potential students or someone that's thinking about getting in the industry to network and, and meet other chefs and, and, and people that are like-minded. Um, but I mean, with certification too, I mean, once you get done with school and you're in your career and you're in your chosen path, you know, whether you're going to be a pastry chef or a savory chef, put your time in, take good notes, keep documentation. And when the time comes and you qualify, you should definitely get certified. It is a certified executive pastry chef. Uh, Certified executive chef. I mean, even if it's some of the smaller ones, you know, uh, certified working pastry chef or certified executive sous chef, you know, any certification that you may have bringing it to the table during a job interview, it's only going to help you. Mm-hmm. I've never seen it hurt anyone. Right. I've never seen anyone be like, oh, I didn't get that job because I was a certified executive chef. It doesn't happen. <laughs> now, you're the chapter president, or you were in your local area? Getting ready to phase out. This is the last little bit for me. I'm going to pass the baton to someone else, um, and I'm going to work towards some other things in the next couple of years. I'm going to stay affiliated. I have to be on the on the board for the chapter, and uh, yeah, I'm just going to keep trucking along with the ACF. And I want to do some uh, my own certification. I want to get my certified culinary educator mm. because eventually that's where I want to see myself again is in education. Oh, um, we, I 
teach a class now. It's elective, which wasn't around when you were in, in school. And that's uh, Introduction to Culinary Instruction. And it's for culinary students that are thinking about going into teaching. And they can take that as an elective class. They learn about lesson plans and assessment and evaluations and, and even how to do live demos, which is... Uh, been pretty good and it, you know, it's elective but those students that want to go into that part of the industry um it's been very successful that's awesome well good luck with that i mean teaching's an honorable part of the industry so now you've been out for a while you're working and you have life you've got your job you've got children now married how do you keep it all together how would you give advice to someone that how how do you get that work-life balance I, i'm fortunate enough uh, i met my wife at johnson wells so my wife is also in the industry in some regards um she works in student nutrition so i mean that kind of helped things out a little bit you kind of you know where the other person's coming from you know and they kind of understand what's going on and they can relate because that's kind of the big thing right now you know being able to relate to your partner you know and explain why you're stressed or why you don't have time or, or whatever the case may be. But I've been real fortunate. Um, I think there's been a really big shift in the industry over the last decade, maybe, maybe even sooner where, I mean, those days of slaving away just aren't, aren't there anymore. I mean, people realized that if you want good people in the industry, you got to give them time to be home with their family, you know? So I think that's a, a pro right now for people that are looking to get in, in the industry. You know, I think those days of the 60, 70 hour work weeks are behind us. You know, I don't think we have to worry about that anymore. I mean, obviously during peak seasons and stuff like that, you're going to work really hard, but I don't think that you're going to have to worry about not having family time like maybe there was before. And just be patient and, and, and find the right job for you. There's lots of jobs out there. If one doesn't work, don't try to put the old square peg in a round hole. You know, it's never going to fit. You know, find the right job for you and, and good things will come up. Yeah, the industry needs to change. It's been plagued in the past with, you know, alcoholism, substance abuse, suicides. You know, it's, it's, it's been really hard on, on employees and, and it's changing and, and that's for a good thing now. Yeah, I think it's getting better for sure. Mm-hmm. So how do you keep yourself from getting complacent? How do you challenge yourself? How do you keep growing? Well, you know, that goes back to the whole certification thing earlier. You know, I mean, once you find yourself in that position and you've grown professionally to a level, you know, like, all right, you become an executive pastry chef or you become an executive chef, you know, to keep it from becoming mundane and going through the day-to-day, -day, you have to challenge yourself. And I think you either do it with things like competition or you do it um, with certification. Uh, you know, I, I've only recently got my certified executive pastry chef. It's something that I've always wanted to do. And now that I've done it, you know, I'm already thinking about, well, what's the next certification I can do? Because I'd like to get the educator. And then I don't want to be too ambitious, but I think maybe one day I'd like to maybe even try the certified master pastry chef exam um, because there's not a lot of them right now. So I think, you know, having goals and being ambitious, mm -hmm. you know, is what's going to keep things fresh and new and different because it can be very mundane. You know, you do the same thing day in, day out, you know, 
Yeah. It could be kind of like a factory. You start producing the same stuff. You want to... It can be, especially in baking and pastry. You know, we, we pump out a lot of simple things. You know, a lot of people ask me, oh, you love working at the country club or doing this. You know, you probably do. You do show pieces every day. No, no, I, I don't make show pieces every day. You know, there's a lot of biscuits and a lot of pies and a lot of cakes in between those show pieces. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That someone had a guest on one other time. They're like, they always get people, oh, you must eat the best food and have the best wine. It's like, you got me confused with the guests. <laughs> I'm the worker. Yeah. I'm eating over a trash can as quick as I can so I get back to work. We have several culinary schools in the area, locally, community college, stuff like that. And I'll get a couple of culinary pastry students come in that want to work. And they, they're always asking me, like, can you make me a better pastry cook or better pastry chef? And I'll, I'll always tell them, I can show you how to scoop cookies better by the time you leave. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. So speaking of that, what is some advice that you would give to a young culinarian that maybe wants to go to culinary school or get into this industry and they came to you? What would you share? What would you tell them? Yeah, you get a job. Get a job in the industry. You know, when you're able, if you go to pretty much any restaurant or resort, club, you know, and you go in with the mindset that you want to learn and not make money and you and you tell a chef or a pastry chef this, um, more than likely they'll bring you on just in that regard. If you want to learn, you know, I'll give you a part-time job. So go in, work in a kitchen, see the environment and experience it for what it is. And, and don't just do one, you know, do a couple. Work a couple different places in the area. Because if you just base your experience off of one location, that might be a bad experience and it might not have been the best choice. You know, you might got a bad... Uh, representation of the industry so do multiple little jobs you know stage which i know you know what that word means go in and work at a place for a day for nothing for free do something really mundane but don't think about what you're doing think about what you're seeing don't be like well i had to peel asparagus for four hours with a green scrubby you know that, that's not the purpose of you being there at that time to build asparagus. The purpose of you is to, to see the environment and to feel it for what it is, the, the intensity of it, and, and decide whether or not this is something I would like to do every day of my life. And if it is, then good for you. Go for it. Yeah, it provides that opportunity to look under the hood, you know, pull, pull back the curtain and see how it works in the back of the house. And Take a peek, you know, to, to see what it's like. Because it's definitely different than sitting as a guest in the front. For sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> <laughs> so you're an influence now to your employees, your cooks, your people work with you. Who growing up was an influence to you? Can you name two, three influences personally, professionally that had an impact on you and your life, your career? Well, my mother was probably the first uh, hardest working person I, I know and always willing to to give me the opportunity, so to speak, to learn, whether it be making me do chores or wash dishes or do my own laundry. You know, she really taught me a lot about independence, taking care of myself, making sure that if it's, which she used to always tell me, if it's worth doing, then it's worth doing right. And I still remember it. So, you know, everything I do, I try to do as best I can do it. Um, and if it's wrong, it's trash. So it's still in the trash. <laughs> 
and you know, I, I'm fortunate enough. I can't say that I've had a lot of grumpy chefs, especially starting out. You know, my my first chef I ever worked for, Chef Gabrielson. He was he took me on at 16 years old. He made me do a a bench test. First time I ever did a bench test. Never cooked in an industrial kitchen before in my life. I go in for an interview to talk, you know, to him about getting a job, and he's like, "All right, come in the kitchen. We're going to have you break down a chicken and cook some rice and." some vegetables and oh, I was super nervous and I did a horrible job of it, <laughs> but he was super, super cool about it. You know, he's like, you know, I, I saw that you were, you made some right moves, you know how to chop, you know, we're going to give you a shot. And you know, I'll, I'll never forget that. You know, you don't have to be the best going into the game. You just have to want to do it. And uh, the right people will give you the opportunity. So I have to say those are two of the biggest mentors that, that really propelled me into the industry. Yeah. and to make good decisions. Great. That's great. Okay, so let's look back now. Yeah, you got some perspective. You got these years b- b- between you and culinary school. Was it worth it? Would you do it all again, knowing how much money it costs and the time and all the homework and maybe stress and everything that was in there? Was it worth it? Would you do it again? Would you make any changes? You know, I would continue in the industry. Um, I do well at it. You know, I, I've had a successful career at it so far. I think the only thing I might have changed is I don't think I would have got my bachelor's in food service management. I think I would have been a little bit more directional and not so broad looking back. Like I think that the way I think and the way that I work, I would have done much better in like food science. And I think now if I could have done it over again, I would have got my bachelor's in food science just because, you know, as a pastry chef, you know, we're very, it's precise, you know, it's almost, it's, people say it's a science and to some degree it is, you know, you know, a science. But uh, when I worked after culinary school for a company called Pre-Gill America, I did a lot of R&D work for them. And it was then that I realized, man, I wish I'd have got my food, food science degree. I could have done a whole lot more with it in the industry with what I like to do. So you really, you know, once you get into that second tier of your education, you really should have a better idea of which direction you want to go. So when you make that bachelor degree decision, do you want to be a, a manager of a restaurant or do you want to do R&D? And I, I wish I would have considered my options a little bit more at that time. But I think that's that's probably the only thing I would have changed. What about a master's degree or other terminal degree rather than the master chef? Spend your time going towards that and get it in colonology or food science. I thought of- I thought about my MBA because it is very versatile. Um, and I thought about getting my master's in education. If I were to pursue education down the road, you know, in, in the state of North Carolina, you have to have a degree of, above what you teach. So if you want to teach an associate, you have to have a bachelor's. If you want to teach a bachelor's, you have to have a, a master's. Um, so in that regards, if I ever did get back in education, I probably would go back to school and get my master's in education. Um, but as far as being in the industry, per se, I think certification probably holds more weight. You know, I think if you are a certified master chef, it's going to get you farther than having your master's in food service management. <laughs> yeah. So I think you just have to figure out what you – it's hard. You have to look into the future and see where you're going to be and try to make that decision now. <laughs> you just never know where you're going to be at. So yeah. it's tough. You're gambling a little bit. Yeah, different doors open, different opportunities present themselves. And did you take the right path or did you not? 
What about your young children now? If they came to you and said they want to be in this industry, would you encourage them? Would you sway them from it? Would you? How, how would you handle that? Well, I got I got one, uh, a young boy, James. He's he's going to be seven on Christmas Day. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah, and he's a uh, he likes to cook with Daddy, you know. And uh, if it's something that he wants to do, by all means, I will help him as much as he wants, you know, to do it. But I will make sure also that there are a lot of other opportunities for him that he won't be just, you know nailed down to this one thing he will have the opportunity to experience more than just food well he's had a lot of experience in it right now we've one of the things we really strived for when he was little was that he would have a good palate <laughs> there's one thing i said he was not going to be a chicken finger and french fry kid his whole life he was gonna eat a lot of things so but uh, i don't know it, it, it'll be tough he must think daddy's pretty exciting when he comes to, comes to where you work or goes to the country club kitchen or anything like that and gets to see the all the action. Must be exciting. Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, he loves coming to the bake shop. He knows he'll get a cookie or something every time he comes in. He's like, where's my treat, daddy? <laughs> <laughs> Great. What's one myth that you have you've heard or you'd like to debunk about our industry or about culinary school that you hear or that, you know, you want to dispel and say, no, that's not true. I don't know. I really, I can't say that I, I know of any myth that I've, you know, been able to debunk. I mean, the, the crazy thing about the kitchen is you're apt to see anything. <laughs> um, and <laughs> you really could see anything in the kitchen. Um, so, Give us an example. What's something crazy you've seen? Yeah, I've seen people fall asleep on the line because they were just so exhausted. I remember in culinary school, we got caught napping in the storeroom because <laughs> <laughs> we stayed up too long. Um, Hiding in the walk-in? Fell asleep on a big pallet of flour. <laughs> uh, yeah, in the back. So I, I can't say that there's any myth. I mean, I think the big thing a lot of people are afraid of now and it might be timid of is just, you know, working for a grumpy chef, working for someone that's mean. Like I think now, like I think the persona of a chef is someone that's just unhappy, uh, ungrateful, narcissistic, you know, just doesn't care about you. And I, I just don't think that's true anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I mean, that, that one time probably was the case a lot, but I think now that that myth is gone. You know, I don't think one, you can't get away with it anymore. Right. HR looms above you. <laughs> You got to be nice. Um, but, you know, I haven't worked with a, with a grumpy chef in a long time. <laughs> so I think that's the big myth now is that, you know, I'm going to be working in a hostile environment and people are going to be yelling at me all the time. And that's just not the case anymore. That myth is, is over. Right. World has changed. So let me ask you this. With Johnson & Wales closing Denver and Miami campuses next year, the art institutes pretty much all closed, the Cordon Blues closing, uh, what do you see the future of culinary school? Well, I, I see it, it, it's unfortunate that it's happening. Uh, you know, we kind of created a bubble, and that bubble did burst, you know. I kind of chopped it back up to that time period with the Food Network. I mean, they really blew it up. I mean... They, 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 they excelled that industry very quickly um, and everybody wanted to go to culinary school, which was great. But then a lot of people couldn't hang per se. And, and uh, 
the industry has kind of the bubble has popped, so to speak, and there's just not enough jobs and, and that people want to go to school to be chefs or, or celebrity chefs. It's just not the case anymore. And there's just not the enrollment for it. Um, I see it as an opportunity, though, for places that want to have in, uh, uh, apprenticeships. Um, you talked about me looking back on it now, whether, you know, if I would have changed something about going to Johnson Wells or picking culinary school, having learned what I learned now, you know, I think I would have loved to have gone to the Greenbrier apprenticeship program. You know, it's, it's a great program um, for people that have already graduated culinary school because that's one of the prerequisites you have. You got to have a, a degree from a culinary uh, program. But, you know, there's other options out there for people. Um, and I see it as, a, as an opportunity for the places that want to provide the apprenticeship program. For those people that really want to excel, it, it'll be good for them. Great. So as we come to the end of our chat today and before we wrap up, is there any last minute advice or guidance or something you want to leave with the listeners, something you want to share? I think the most important advice I can give somebody that's wanting to go to culinary school or go into the industry is to put themselves and stressful situations as much as possible. It, it may sound silly, but you know, it's the only real way I feel like someone can grow. You know, if you if you coast and you make your life easy, you will not develop and grow professionally. So don't be afraid to take the leap of faith, put yourself in a stressful situation, whether it be competition, certification, going to some random job interview and doing a bench test, uh, make yourself uncomfortable because that's what's really going to help you excel. Um, because in the industry, you'll find that you're uncomfortable a lot. And the sooner that you come to grips with it, um, the easier it will be to overcome those situations when you come across them in the future. And then, and then try to find joy in it. You know, not all times will be joyful. Not all times will be easy. But find what you like and what makes you happy and focus on it. Great advice. So let me ask, in 2013, you won the U.S. Pastry Chef of the Year. How did you get there so fast right after graduation? That was a pretty short amount of time. Yeah, luckily... Um, I worked at a place pre-Jill America. It was just north of Charlotte in Concord. And it was a pastry and ice cream manufacturing facility. And we did a lot of R&D there. And we also taught a lot of classes there uh, on pastry. And I had the fortunate opportunity to work with a lot of great pastry chefs. Um, Frederick Monty, Laurent Brenlard, Stefan Trion. We're talking like MOFs from France. And in that three years that I was there, you know, I had the opportunity just to learn from some of the best pastry chefs in the country and the world because they were constantly coming in, teaching classes. And I luckily had a mentor, Frederick Monty, who was one of the more challenging pastry chefs that I've ever worked with in my life. But, you know, for all the hard times and grief he gave me, he also pushed me to excel and to be better. And I had every resource at my disposal. You know, if I wanted to pull sugar, Fred would say pull sugar. He might go behind me and say it looks horrible, <laughs> but it was made me strive to be better. So nothing was ever good enough for him. And it was very stressful. But man, I tell you, at the end of the day, I look back on it and 
if it wouldn't have been for those couple of years there working for him, being under pressure, being under stress, thinking that I wasn't going to be good enough, I, I probably wouldn't have been. I mean, he really helped mold and, and, and shape me into that competition platform that was needed to win that. I mean, that and I mean, I just I just had scored the perfect job at the time. And I was willing to learn and, and put in the time and energy. I mean, it was about a year there where I didn't take a weekend off. I basically went to work and I pulled sugar or worked with chocolate or, I mean, just whatever I could do. You know, At the time, though, I, I just had got married. I didn't have any kids. And I was at that point where I could do that. And I seized that that moment to really put the time in. And I, and I had, luckily, my wife at the time to say, you know, why are you home on Saturday? You need to be at work practicing. Wow. And she would like basically push me out the door like, hey, you need to go. If you're going to do this, you need to do it. So, I mean, you know, I talk about stress and, and that's one of the things, you know, putting yourself in that stressful situation, you know, and, and seeing if you'll rise to the top. I mean, that's what really will take you from being kind of mediocre you know, good, but mediocre to really excelling yourself really quickly. That and I just, my circle was really small and I only surrounded myself with people that did pastry. I mean, when I left work and I went and hung out with my buddies that were co-workers, you know, we didn't talk about football or sports. We talked about pastry. I went to bed thinking about pastry. I woke up thinking about pastry. If I did a YouTube search, it was on pastry. I mean, I, I really just engulfed my life in it for about three years. And if you do that and you, you sacrifice that little bit of your life, you can. You can get very good very quick. But a lot of people don't want to sacrifice that little bit of their life. They want their weekend. They want their personal time. And those are the things you kind of have to give up if you want to get good really quick. Yeah. But then you go back later and you have free time and you have personal time. <laughs> yeah. So it's a total immersion, right? It's like, you know, really time on task and just yeah. – be there yeah that, that, that's the ticket you know sacrifice a little bit so you can have it later yeah well that is just about all the time we have for this episode and i want to first thank you ben for coming on the show today and sharing your culinary school story with all of us we really appreciate your time your insight and your honesty thank you it was my pleasure being on the show all right thanks again and i enjoyed our chat bye 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 and a big thanks and appreciation also goes out to all of you, the listeners. We hope you enjoy the show and this episode. You all are a big part of this show, so please let us know what you think. Your comments are always welcome, and they help us in making the best show possible. You can email them to culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. That's culinaryschoolstories at gmail.com. Or even leave us a voicemail at area code 207-835-1275. That's area code 207-835-1275. And if you like the show, we have a big ask of all of you. And that is to share the podcast with everyone you know. And to give us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Okay, until our next culinary school story, take care and be well. Bye-bye. Culinary School Stories is a proud member of the Food Media Network.